Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Culminators, good to see you. How are you this fine day? It is chilly here in Newark, New Jersey, a very unseasonably chilly, I don't want to say cold, it's not really, really cold, uh, moment here in uh, at the end of November, but I love it. Uh, and one of the reasons I love it is because it's easiest to look good in fall clothing. You can layer, if you're a big uh, schwitzer like me, which is a Yiddish word that means su- sweating guy, uh, you know, you can you can afford a couple of extra layers. Uh, and if there's anyone who appreciates that point, and in fact, who already has done so when I when I made it uh, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, uh, it's Necktie Salvage, known to known to his friends as O.W. Roosh. And he and I be- quickly became friends on the Internet once I saw what he had to say. He's a very, very thoughtful guy coming out of the Midwest. And we're going to talk about his very interesting social media contributions and thoughts and what he's doing to try to get men, people in general, but I think the focus is on men, I could be wrong about this, to start thinking about why it matters, how we look and present ourselves to the world. And that's why I got a little bit more dressed today. Also, because I just, why not look great when you can look, when you can look great, right? Uh, so good morning. Oh, good morning. W. How are you today? Good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. So you have become a, a real thing. <laughs> What's what? Ha, when did you first pop up? It was certainly not much more than a year ago, right? Um, I started writing. I started really tweeting a bit and writing more and talking about this publicly a couple years ago, but not with the same level of intensity or drive as I have for probably the past year. And so, yeah, the past year has definitely been a growth period. Absolutely. You've grown pretty decently. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of guys who want, who are interested in this message and who feel something lacking in their life, I think, but they don't really know how to put it into words. And I think they resonate with this. And I think and I'm just going to I'm throwing up right now one of the many, many social media presences, presences that you offer. You're there on Twitter at 13.7, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, for a guy who has only been on for uh, for a couple of years. Well, actually, it says you joined July 2019. But, but I didn't really start. You, you know, weren't re- yeah, you, you weren't really a thing. Now, you're no, a thing. I'll tell you, I had sometimes I wish I kept my first Twitter account was in 2008 or something way back. And I wish I kept that just because when you see a Twitter account that has a real ancient start date, it feels like you're encountering a relic. You know, it feels like you're encountering the ancient history. That is interesting. I mean, I, I see the mine, mine says 2009. That's that's old. Yeah, that is a really it's pretty cool when you see something like that. Yes. Uh, well, but you know, 
Yeah, well, listen, I don't want to talk about Twitter, Twitter too much because it, it can be extremely frustrating. That's exactly um, right. Yeah. Luckily, uh, I have some great followers, though. That's the thing. I have great followers that follow me. We were talking before about uh, where you are, where, where you are literally coming from. Yeah. Uh, you're not. It, it is always fun for me to talk to somebody from the Midwest. Yeah. Where I spent a couple of important years of my life. Okay. Uh, and, although I think most of the Midwest doesn't really consider Chicago the Midwest. But right. Here in New York, we consider Chicago to be basically the end of the, you know, the end of the of the known world in many respects. <laughs> so you're you're you are in, in the Detroit area? No, I'm in, in West Michigan area. West Michigan. Not to nice, be confused. Not to be confused. I'm in the nice area of Michigan. I'm in the pretty desolate, pretty small area right on the lake, around nature a lot. And it's beautiful. So that's actually an interesting point because a lot of, I mean, look, I, I haven't really brought our our uh, listeners and viewers up to speed on your clothes make the man sort of ethos and what you write about and what we will in a, in a second. But it is interesting to me that th that's usually an urban sensibility. Right. And here you are sort of living in a, a small town, mid-America. And yes, your social media uh uh, figure on on the make and you know and all that's all good but to me you know, you know i think one of the one of the one of the worst things of the many bad things that uh the lockdowns achieved achieved was to take a country that was rapidly descending toward sloppyhood slovenliness uh casualness uh to uh, to you know to a fault uh to to accelerate that trend to a point where really nobody cares about how he looks almost any time. But when I go into the city, it's reached this point now where I feel that here's an opportunity for me actually to get dressed because people will see me and I yes. want to be seen looking good. Mm -hmm. How is it that you've maintained this sensibility in this, you know, in, in a, in in a, in, a, in, a, in this relatively sparsely uh, populated social environment that's a really good question that's a really good question and it really does get to a lot of interesting things here thinking about just tying all these things together work from home how that accelerated the sort of slobification not seeing people voluntarily opting to dress more decently thinking about the general degeneration that we've seen in American society in terms of dress. For example, you're right that when you say you go into the city, it gives you a reason to get dressed. And you're right, you says more, this tends to be more of a city sensibility, a more urban sensibility, because you're around more people. And there's also the cultural aspect of cities and all of this. But if we go back farther, if we go back before the degeneration, this wasn't so strange in smaller areas as well. And especially the style I focus on, which is Ivy prep style. This is a very New England style and not necessarily always big urban, but is actually smaller, in fact. And so that cities are the places in which there might be some remnant of decent dressing is only because it's the last uh, part to be fed to the alligator, only because it's the, the final thing. And so in a certain sense, like I said, if we go back before the degeneration, this would have been standard or not standard, but more common in even smaller, in smaller areas as well. And so when I think about this and when I come, come to my ideas with this, 
I think about this rather in the idea of how it ought to be rather than how it is. And sort of taking more of an inspiration from a higher sort of time in a certain way. And so I think that, in fact, when we are far in the hinterlands in a way, there is an idea that I think is interesting that about taking our civilization with us in a certain sense. And clothing is a sort of civilization. Clothing is a certain sign of civilization. And I think about people when they did settle, actually move to far-flung places, they did bring civilization with them, in a sense. And what did that mean? That was their culture. So all this ties together. That's an important point, because because I think what you're really saying is, it's a matter of personal dignity. I mean, on, on the one hand, I mean, when I used to have this, this argument, so to speak, with with friends who were who just believed, why would anyone ever even wear a tie anymore? It's so obscure. It's and I don't. I want to just be comfortable. And and a very common retort was that I would make, and that others who saw my point of view would make was, dressing nicely is a sign of respect for other people, not just for yourself. So you're showing that it matters to you how they perceive you, and that and and you're showing respect to them. In other words, if you're going to court, as I do from time to time, or you're going to the White House. You want to look your best. You want you you know it is an acknowledgement. Now, as a religious Jew myself, if I'm home alone at the Sabbath table, Shabbos table, some people get casual immediately, and many and and it's not a particularly modest statement for me to say that many such people are immensely more religious and pious and learned than I am, but. So one of the things that the Hasidic movement introduced three uh, hundred years ago was this idea that even a poor person, even an unlearned person, should dress himself in a in a in a splendid way uh, on the Sabbath and ideally in other occasions, because he had that same dignity that even a great scholar and even a great you know, a tzaddik, even a great righteous person could do. So I feel that, okay, I might not, I, I might not be all that distinguished. Uh, I mean, I, I have sons who are truly distinguished scholars, uh, but, uh, but I can give honor to the Sabbath and, and obviously therefore to God by looking at as nice for as long into the meal as I possibly can. Absolutely. I, there's so much to this. There's so much to this religiously. There's so much to this culturally. There is this, I mean, what is Shabbat? What is the Sabbath? It is this slice of, you say the world to come, the slice of certain Shemaim in a certain sense that we get every, it is a return almost to, we are resting and we are not slaves. We are not beat down, but we do have this sense of dignity there. And there is this, there's so much to that, what you're saying. And it's not a surprise that this comes about, this idea you're talking about is it comes about from the Hasidic movement. It's not a surprise that it comes from that movement. It's not a surprise from that time, that location, that space, the economic reality, everything. It's not a. It's not a surprise that this idea of dignity. If you can only dress one day a week with a sense of dignity, make it be Yom HaShabbat. And why do that on the Shabbat? It's because it is the Shabbat. But something that was a real big thing to me that is tied in directly to this 
was this realization that dressing with a sense of dignity when things are difficult was a feature, not a bug. And that, that ha there is an inherent thing there. And there is a lot of, with this, people think that this is a materialistic thing. You know, they think it's just dressing with decency, but it's not. It's a it, You can approach it in so many different ways. The religious aspect, the dignity aspect, the cultural aspect, the civilizational aspect, all of this. And the religious aspect, God God is, first of all, it's God is concerned with what we wear. The Torah talks about it a lot. And so- Starting so, in the first, the very first chapter. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you guys need to, those leaves aren't going to cut it. Let me, let me make you something- a little exactly. bit <laughs> exactly exactly and, and think about that so we move away from gan eden and the garden then of eden. the garden of eden we move away from the garden of eden and in a certain sense what do clothes become they become because we are different from animals we are created in god's image they become almost a sign of civilization in a certain sense and this is there's this deep in brashit in creation in genesis there is this deep religious aspect to clothing as civilization, in a sense. Yeah, I mean, in fact, now, now that you mention it, we 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 probably we we probably could do an entire episode on 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 you know Jacob and Esau. Oh yeah, I mean, just it, it comes up over and over again. There's so much we can talk about, but it's and it's certainly not unique to Judaism. I mean, no. There's there's an old American expression: a, "Your Sunday go to meet in suit." Mm -hmm. way, this is the one you know this is the day you go into church on the, on the christian sabbath you, you're you're going to wear your 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 best your best suit the teddy boys movement uh you know which or, or the uh, no not the mods right the teddy boys which was you know we we are working class but we're gonna we're gonna look great we're, we're gonna mm -hmm. and in fact the what is it, the black muslims you know those guys look natty mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and and it's not because they're wealthy. Mm -mm, mm -mm. So you know, it, it is it is a really hard thing to to get across to the extent that I mean I don't I don't know what your your day job working environment is, but if I would come to the office every day in a in a tie, even though I'm the managing partner of this office, it would be weird. People it just people wouldn't. In fact, it's one of the first things Harmy said to me when we were. When you know we're talking about, uh, am I going to work in, in her firm? Which was, no one, no one really, you know, it's it's California culture here. Of course, you know, our main office is in San Francisco, and they haven't, people haven't dressed up for work, in, you know, in a, in, a, in a very long time. And that's, you know, that's so interesting because you're a lawyer. This is not, you're not. Uh, repairing casino slot, slot machines, you know? I mean, you, you're a lawyer. And it's interesting that you said it because I think a disproportionate number of my close followers who follow me for some time are lawyers, actually. I think that law is almost one of the last bastions, the last realms where sometimes there is a certain sense of dressing with decency because there's a formality there. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, the fact that's a, that is true. It, it is... It would be scandalous to to appear in court without a, a tie and jacket. Mm -hmm. I remember the confusion during the when when the courts started moving toward uh, during the lockdown toward uh, remote proceedings because mm -hmm. judges were not with themselves were not sending clear signals. So I had some judges appearing on camera with a robe, uh, but other people were telling me that that they were get that they were appearing before judges. Maybe it was for conferences and not for. A, 
formal hearings. But the guy sitting at his kitchen table, you know, uh, you know, looks like he looking like he's going to be working on the slot machines. Um, we have seen in our time something extraordinary, which is that a prominent member of Congress has taken to doing his job without putting his coat on. Yeah. You know, I don't understand why that's cool and why it's necessary. Uh, it's not a particularly conservative statement to make, uh, but the, the, the idea of, of serving in Congress in shirt sleeves, notwithstanding that you're wearing a tie, is... is it's insane. It's it's. It, I mean, it's Fetterman. We're talking about John Fetterman. No, I'm actually no. I'm talking. I'm talking about Jim. Um, Jim Jordan. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Sorry. I thought we were talking about Fetterman. We've got a lot of problems going on we'll right work now. Work our way to Fetterman because the interesting. So the interesting thing. Okay. Fine. Right. Okay. So, for example, you've got someone like not someone like. As far as I know, he's the only one. I'm glad to say, Jim Jordan, very high level, prominent guy very popular on, on our side and and i like i like him but he he works in short in shirt sleeves and i just i don't i don't get that and i it was interesting to me that nobody during the fetterman controversy when in his persistent attempt to uh, to appeal to the lowest common denominator uh chuck schumer the despicable chuck schumer uh changed the rules so that Senator Fetterman wouldn't have to get into his big boy clothes to come to work in the United in the United States yes. Senate, and that was that after just a couple of days of clown show, of of, of U.S. Senate clown show, uh, that was the Senate itself voted in a one of the few bipartisan votes in our lifetimes these days. No, we are going to dress for work. No one mentioned, gosh. How about Jim Jordan? I mean, you know, I, I know that he wasn't wearing sweatsuits to work and shorts, but it was still more. It was still less or not more or less. It was still it was still pushing that it was still moving away from a very, very reasonable expectation. It is not a new expectation. It is a very old expectation. And like you said, we're talking about the United States Senate Congress. We're talking about your servant. I, I've tweeted about this before. You're. The, you're talking about the hyperpower, the United States of America, arguably the most powerful empire that has ever existed on planet Earth. And that's what you're doing. You're working for this. You're representing people within this empire. And we, we're not telling you to go out and do some insane feat. Guess what? Do a thousand pushups for me right now. No, I'm talking all you have to do. And you've or done in this case, do a crossword puzzle. You do a crossword <laughs> it's i mean it, it is it's one of these things where it is pathetic because there's so many ways you can look at this not only is it not unreasonable not only are there people who have stricter honestly there are people who if you work at wendy's you have a stricter uniform than a, um john fetterman would, <laughs> would wear like seriously like than what he was wearing like when he'd go down to his sweatpants whatever i don't you have to Go on. I, no, I don't know if you know, if you you might know this story. You're certainly not old enough to 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 know it from the time, but you may have heard it by now. Ronald Reagan, mm -hmm. the air conditioning was broken in the West Wing, 
and you know how hot it can get in Washington. And they were they were sweating. Uh-huh. And the chief of staff at the time, it might have been Regan, might have been Baker, uh, said, Mr. President, maybe under the circumstances, it would be appropriate for us to maybe work in shirts and shirt sleeves, uh, you know, until the air conditioning. And Reagan looked at him like he was out of his freaking mind. Right. It was what it's. It's the White House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the White House. What are you nuts? Yeah. Then we had Bill Clinton, who showed us just how much sanctity attached right, 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 to, right. to the Oval Office. But okay, easy for us to to take pot shots at th- this sort of degradation. You, th- there aren't a lot of people. I mean, you, are there people that others that you follow who have been in working in this space for a long time, especially on YouTube? You know, fashion, uh, men's fashion and and men's uh, grooming uh, experts. Is there anyone that that you, that you have found to be an inspirational or useful, or or someone that you anyone out there that you think is full of it? Oh, it was... <laughs> so I think a problem for a lot of guys of what you see out there. So first, let me say, you're right. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of guys that talk about this and. If you're talking about, let's start from the bare minimum, which is just great. If you are taking care, if you're just trying to approach your personal aesthetic with a sense of intention, that's good. You're already there. Let's assume there's a bad path on a good path. Bad path is you don't care and you're sort of destroying the aesthetic. Good path is you are caring. So if you're making some effort, you have an intentional approach, you're trying to look better. You're trying to take care and you're thinking about this idea. I don't want to look like a slob. That's good. So no matter where you deviate from there, at least you're moving in that direction. It's a, in other words, it's a mindset. It's a, yeah, for sure. As soon as you're thinking about that, whoever it is, whether they're talking about it in the most materialistic way ever or whatever, however they're talking about it, they're at least talking about trying to care a little bit. Going up a little bit in terms of what I think is interesting and in getting to the point, I think a problem- This is not- culmination. There's no point. Okay, you, you just said we just we go where it takes us. <laughs> We're just going. Um, ADHD <laughs> um, podcast for ADHD people or those who love it. <laughs> those who love it. Um, going farther with that, though, I do think that something that is a problem is and you'll see it is a lot of people will retreat into materialism when it comes to close. They don't talk about the meaning of the clothes. They don't talk about what it means for men, for man. They don't talk about the psychological aspect of it. They don't talk about the... You mean, in other words, conspicuous consumption? Yes, yes. They just... Because it turns into just materialism. It just turns into consumption. It turns into just... It, it's no different than uh, collecting something small. It just turns into almost the worship of the thing. It turns into a signal then of just sort of maybe it's wealth, maybe it's whatever. And that's not it. And if not many people will get to the deeper ideas of what does it mean to man? And what is the situation with man today? And very few people talk about the cultural aspect, the civilizational aspect to it. And that's when you, that's when you get into more of essentially the, it ties into everything else that we see. With the collapse of man, there's no, it is not a surprise that when we look around at essentially the state of our civilization, Western civilization, it's it, it's pretty uh, impoverished in a certain sense, culturally and spiritually. And... Not only Western civilization. You know, I, I sent you a while ago a thread mm-hmm. that I had written 
five or something years ago mm -hmm. about your topic about sloppiness mm -hmm. and how there was a time in the you know in the oriental world uh, or the middle east when the 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 the, people, the indigenous people there had their own unique dress yeah and there was a real dignity mm -hmm. that projected from the way arabs used to dress as arabs as, they, as as so many still do in saudi arabia for example for sure and today you know it's ironic for all the anti-colonialism mm -hmm. everyone pretty much in most of these countries when you see them rioting mm -hmm. and doing the things that they do so very well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they look like a bunch of american or or, or, or american slobs at a, at a you know uh, at, at a at a in a mosh pit, mm -hmm. or 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 um British uh, hooligans, and, and the, they have colonialized themselves so that they look like a bunch of Western Slavs. Yeah, this there's a wow. Yeah, so there's a lot to this because with all these ideas, there's all these layers. There's first the the personal layer, me as a Westerner, or you as a Westerner. Then there there moves to the cultural aspect, the civilizational aspect, then it does move planetary. And now we're getting into what you're saying that you it's sad actually to see the collapse of these different forms of indigenous dress essentially, or different cultural dresses of different civilization because it actually blends everyone together. Actually, diversity is great on the planet earth, you know? And so we're talking about this planetary diversity where I, like you said, there are different regions where they have a classic form of dress that represents not only their culture and their religion and their ways, but also their, that what was necessary for their climate as well. And like you were mentioning about um, uh, older traditional ways of Arab dress, there's different ways that I, I've seen the, the, this different, um, uh, what is it? It's like a diagram of the different ways that it, if you look in the Gulf, how they put the kefia over their head, there's these different ways that are like different specific styles where they do it up. They're like, they're, they aren't just like thrown on. There's these distinct ways that are similar to how we tie ties or something. And they are distinct and that re represents certain things in the Gulf or, or maybe Saudi Arabia or wherever. But that is actually real details To And I'm not an expert on that. But when I saw that, I thought that that that's details that you don't see from the outside if you're part of the out group. But the in group, you do see that. Do you think there's any way to, you know, other than sort of uh, doing what you do, which is, you know, what I do a little bit, which is to, hey, to encourage people to take a look in the, literally take a look in the mirror yeah. and ask yourself, why do you want to project that image when you can project this, you know, when you can project mm -hmm. this image? In, in an environment where society is, is, is so rapidly deteriorating, do you think there's any possible way to, arrest that to to, to 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 especially you know again in workplaces all the trends i mean look my so just to use my kids as an example who are all they're adults they wear they wear ties and white shirts although not i mean sorry they wear suits and white sh shirts not ties except on shabbos or, or if they're going to a right. wedding or something every single day in other words the the, the in the jewish yeshiva world the ethos is that that is called for men being dressed and women have standards of dress that differ significantly across the sort of different sectors uh, although interestingly the the best dressed women in the, in the orthodox world are the hasidic women uh, and, and specifically chabad women i feel like i feel like chabadnik tend to be quite well dressed 
and you know, there, first, I mean, it has become something of a refuge for for us, I think, to, you know, to know that, you know, in, when I'm in my neighborhood, there's a certain, yeah, hey, we're all in, we are all making this statement together. This mm-hmm. is how we're going mm-hmm. to appear, you know, for worship and for communal activities and in front of, front of God, but in the greater culture, what are there any trends you think that that could possibly get people to hear this message more? Well, I think what you said, just to touch on what you said about when you are in your neighborhood, there's this sense of we're all on the same page, we're all in this together. And there's this, and you see, when you see a Hasidic woman or a Hasidic guy, you can tell from what he's wearing a lot of things about what he believes. And if you're really tapped into the world, you know you can tell specifically what sect you're from, depending on all sorts of different things. And so these are little things that depending on your level of knowledge, you can tell things. But your clothing sends a signal of who who you're with in a certain sense, of your group, of your culture, of your community. And there's a cohesiveness there. And when we look at our society today, it's just total anarchy. It's total anarchy, total aesthetic anarchy. And what does that do in terms of our ability to communicate with each other, our ability to get along with each other? I mean, our ability to just exist in some sort of decent society of any sense. Is that possible when you have just total aesthetic anarchy? Because that aesthetic anarchy is essentially unparalleled unless you were living in, I mean, tribes, for example, tribes and peoples from all over essentially had ways of dressing because it was the materials they had there and they had flags. And what are tartan? What is tartan? Tartan, all these tartans, they come, they have a history to them that comes from specific regions and clans. And so there's an old aspect to this. This isn't a new idea that people wear clothing of people that they're around. And when you look in American society, if we go back a bit to the mid-century, for example, in many ways, and earlier, having some sort of Western dress for people to, uh, people have written about this a lot. What was the image of Brooks Brothers? It was this sort of cohesive idea that whether you were coming from Southern Europe or Eastern Europe, this allowed for a way to interface into the society and speak that same aesthetic language in this modernizing Western society. And what does it mean that that has collapsed? All of this stuff is connected. People don't realize it, but this stuff is connected. All right, so now back to my question. Sorry, <laughs> this is ADHD. I thought. What do you? Th- oh, sorry. Any, any? Is there anything that can get us back to? Okay, and anything that we can get us back. Sometimes I float this idea out there. Yeah, you can make it illegal. You can straight up ban <laughs> selling T-shirts. I say this as a joke sometimes to sort of stretch people's minds, but I'm like, what if you just banned selling T-shirts? And people are like, oh no, can't do that. But I'm sort of stretching. People say, okay, well maybe. But if we're not going to straight up ban T-shirts, but although, you know, people say, oh, it's crazy to require people to wear certain clothing. Is it? You're not allowed to walk down the street nude. And so, I mean, like you can't walk down the street nude. There is certain requirements, but beyond that, which is not going to happen in our lifetime, is there anything that will switch people around? If it has to be voluntary, I mean, you can't legislate it and say you have to, you have to inspire people. And it has to start small. Is there a bottom in which men will hit where they eventually say, oh, this is too too much and I want to re- reject it and I want to go the other way? I don't know. I would think yes, but I th- would think that bottom would have been longer ago. 
And so I think that where it starts is if it was ever to come back, if you were ever to really change it, it would have to start in the fringe. It'd have to start among God because that's where anything that changes kind of starts in the fringe ultimately. And so it'd have to start in the fringe like the guys who care. And they start doing it and you start influencing other guys. When you dress a certain way and you see someone on the street, they take influence from you. They're influenced by you even if they don't say it. And then let it spread like that, like any other cultural thing. You know, it's fascinating to me that I don't watch TV, but lots of TV comes on over my, my computer, obviously. And I noticed that even newscasts have a much more mixed uh, formality, clothing formality ethos now than they did when I was watching mm -hmm. TV. With almost with one exception that is fascinating to me, sports. Uh huh. All the sports guys, including the former athletes and the present athletes, but especially the most of the announcers, not all of them, they love to look good. They, they love to, to dress up and look good, and that's sure. that is is very intriguing to me. Uh -huh. What do you uh -huh. think that's about? That's really interesting. I, you know, I've noticed this as well. They wear pretty bold stuff. They're wearing pretty bold stuff, pretty snappy, like really bold and bright stuff. But you do, you'll see them wearing ties, pocket squares, suits, or sport coats. And what is that? And that's a very macho space. Yeah. Well, th this is kind of tied into, yeah. I know They're that when sports teams, I, I don't know what the, what the standard is now, but until fairly recently, most sports teams required that on the road, when the teams were traveling, mm -hmm. you had to dress. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know whether it had to be a suit and tie, but you had basically what we would call, I think, business casual at mm -hmm. the very least. And I mean, these days, the power structure is quite different in sports from yeah. how it was when I was growing up. But I'm thinking of what, what cultural influences you could be referring to. I mean, I do think there are still, I think in the black community, it's interesting that there are, there are a lot of influential black people, uh, you know, in black culture who do make a point of, of, of looking very good uh politicians still accept you know mm -hmm. with the notable exceptions we mentioned mm -hmm. understand that people expect them to, to to look good and dress properly uh on the other hand you know joe rogan shows up like he just walked out of the gym you know and he makes money hand over fist uh it's it is it is anarchy and so, so you know the pendulums are always swinging mm -hmm. and when there's anarchy in almost any kind of social system, what eventually happens is there begin to be uh, clusters of non-anarchic organization and standards because people can't stand anarchy. Yeah. And they say, okay, let's, let's at least over here agree to do yeah. this. Exactly. On the other hand, like you might expect that sort of impetus to come from employers, from organizations, but it, but it, but it's not to a large extent. It's it is this it is the individuals choosing this in this way. And thinking about what you said about the sports announcers, and thinking what you said about having when they're on the road, they have to wear a certain thing. That reminds me of you know when I was in school, if you played sports in high school, you had to wear a tie on the day of the game. The oh, interesting. You had to. And a lot of guys had the same thing. In school? That, 
in school. You had yeah, in school, or you had to wear a, a shirt with a um a, like a button-up shirt with yeah. normal pants. You couldn't just wear a t-shirt, you couldn't just wear a, a sweatshirt. On the day of the game, you had to wear this. A lot of this was pretty common in the Midwest. And yeah, it's kind of interesting. And other guys have had this same thing as well. On the day of the game, you had to wear something. You couldn't just wear a t-shirt, you had to wear a button-up shirt, a tie. And how did you understand what did you understand the thinking to be? I well, I think there are these holdouts. They're these holdouts of formality. But, like, but I'm saying, what what was it? What what was the message? Well, that... I think. Well, I think so. The message is, you're. If we really boil this down. You're representing your school on your team against some other school, so you're sort of this outward facing aspect of your school. If we really sort of boil it down, so you're sort of this outward facing aspect of the school against another school, and so you have to look good in a certain sense. You are about to go represent someone, even if you're not going to wear that on the court or whatever on the field, I think it's rooted in this idea of representation, of representing some bigger entity. And if we look at the places where this still is around, it's when you're representing something else. It's when you're representing a country, representing a group, representing a some entity. And I do think that with the sports, I think that there is an opportunity. I, I think a lot of the guys who are more athletic and um really in that zone there are certain there's a certain cohort of them that are actually open to these ideas of dressing decently in a certain sense if they're not athletes but i mean guys who are just in that zone that little more um athletic zone because they will take and i've noticed this and i think that those guys actually are really could be a good place to change this culturally because they are already be bettering themselves athletically in terms of their strength, in terms of their physique. And then they take another step and then they start to understand that in the aesthetic realm. And they start to say, well, I also want to represent myself as a strong man in that way as well. And so they're already on the path toward representing themselves in strength. And I think that there is some interesting place for growth there. It's interesting to me also that when I asked you about, uh, other influencers and you yeah. being gracious decided not to name any names, but you are definitely going down a path that is very different mm -hmm. from a lot of the men's mindfulness type stuff yep. where the only emphasis is on physical fitness. That's right. And on a very coarse kind of materialism, as well as this really gross sexual conquest uh, uh, mentality. I mean, both, however, are are react or all of these are reactions to obviously mm -hmm. an, an enfeebled, the enfeebled state of masculinity in our mm -hmm. time and place. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. And you're right. I I do go down a different path. As far as I know, I'm the only one that's really in the space I'm talking about with the intersection of the culture of the spiritual aspect of the deeper civilizational aspect to it. But it is adjacent to these other ideas of bettering yourself physically. But it's adjacent to a lot of this because it is all a rejection of this, like you said, this feeble culture of this androgynous culture of man boiled down and women boiled down. I, I share these photos sometimes of the, of years and years ago. The women are not dressed particularly scandalously and the men are dressed relatively decent as well. They're wearing a, a coat and tie. But there is an obvious romantic sort of pairing and dance between the two figures, between the two forms of man and woman there. And as 
society has bubbled down and as everything has been boiled down into slop, I, I sometimes joke that that's not, not really joke, but it sounds like a joke that the population issue has to do with people not dressing well because people are not attracted to each other. But there is some, here's a perfect example. Yeah, this is a great, incredibly beautiful photo. It's president and first lady Kennedy. Yes. Casual. They are not, they're not wearing a tuxedo. They're nope. not, but, but look, <laughs> but just look. Yeah. And this was, uh, yeah, this is Paul Newman, I guess. Paul Newman, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, more or less from the same era. This is, folks. The, the fact is that O.W. and I could, could we talk, talk forever, forever about this. Yeah, because it, it you know, what now? Why you have such a low key, grainy picture is a different philosophical question. And you, you're obviously not the kind of egomaniac that I am. Always projecting his his face into things when you show your 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 sort of a. Uh, style pictures your your face is is barely even in the picture because you want to make a point about yes not yourself but about a, a about a look about a, it's a teaching moment that's right a um, lot of times i cut my face off entirely i have noticed this and uh you know uh it's so you can imagine yourself wearing that it's so it's not about me it's about the clothes you can say huh i like that what would i look like with that how could i wear that there is so much that again as we could talk to i would just want people to 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 know that if they want to learn more about what you're uh, what you're what you're cooking uh i followed your from your link uh, from your link here on uh, twitter to the your your link tree mm -hmm. this guy is all over the place and substack yeah substack is a great resource i break down I go through how I approach dressing every single week. I take all the fits that I post and I say, why does this work? Why doesn't this work? What can I pair with this? What tie works with this? Why did I choose this? When did I choose this? And it gives a real insight into how, if you like this way I dress, this is how I do it. And you know, I got to tell you, it, it is one of, on the days when I do wear a tie and ladies and gentlemen, we will be wearing a tie on the podcast from now on. We, we got to, <laughs> We got to make the stand. It is one of my most pleasurable parts of my day. I usually get my clothes ready the day before. One of the few things I do in advance. So I don't wake up my wife. Choosing the tie. Putting to, I know I wear sport coats more than suits because suits are just almost only for, you know, for, for court pretty much. Or so, you know, something really formal, not really formal, but you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sport coats actually are fun because they they mm -hmm. you're going to have colors and sort of combination challenges that you wouldn't have with a you know a, a charcoal. And, suit. and what you're what you're talking about, so many guys don't even know this. The younger generation, they don't even they don't even know what you're talking about. I get messages from guys and they're like, I've never even we never learned this. I don't even know about this. Like what you're talking about these common these color combination challenges. Some guys that that this is just things they've never even heard before. And that's because the, the the lineage was broken. They didn't learn it from their dad. They didn't see their dad. They didn't feel it. You know, it felt like when they see it, it almost felt like going to the museum and seeing cavemen, you know? Guys, guys and gals, but, but guys, gals interested in this for maybe getting their men straight or interested just in the sensibility. Because the other thing I, you know, about, about UOW is that you tweet a lot of, thoughts and uh, observations about society and 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 social life and and inter interior life 
all of which are consistent with your your dressing message, and which I know are informed by by your religious faith and and and, the, and you know, it's a he's a, a worthwhile person to follow. He's gonna he's going places, um, and he's going there looking great. You can too. Thank you so much for talking to us today, OW, and Thank you. Uh, we will be in touch uh, as we always are on a regular basis. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day. Hey.